New York City's mayor tied to the Chinese Communist Party, a report says one of his campaign donors is related to a secret Chinese police station in the city. Congress's next top China priority, what should it be after the midterm elections? Representative Tom Tiffany gives his take. A new left-leaning president in Brazil, the most influential country in South America, what would the shift mean for the U.S. and the world? And a German microchip factory, possibly coming under Chinese ownership, will the German government approve the deal? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer, New York City's mayor in the spotlight. A report says one of his election campaign donors has ties to a troubled U.S. charity, which reportedly hosts a secret Chinese police station in its New York headquarters. Here are the details. According to Daily Caller News, the president of the American Chong Li Association, James Liu, financially supported Mayor Eric Adams' election efforts. He donated $4,000 to Adams' mayoral campaign between 2019 and 2021. But Liu's nonprofit, the American Chong Li Association, was embroiled in a series of controversies earlier this month. That's amid reports that the group had been operating a Chinese police station inside its headquarters in Lower Manhattan. It's allegedly tasked with spying on Chinese nationals. The Manhattan police station is one of more than 100 law enforcement offices the CCP has set up worldwide. According to a human rights group, these stations also participate in intimidation, harassment, detention or imprisonment to spy on dissenters and return migrants to China. Last month, the American Chang Li Association welcomed Mayor Adams as an honored guest at its gala. Though the mayor did not disclose his participation at the event on his official agenda. Photos published on a Queens-based Chinese-language news service post revealed Adams' presence there. At the dinner, Adams made a speech honoring the America Chang Li Association, calling it an important and powerful social organization that makes great contributions to New York City. Others in attendance included Senator John Liu, City Council Member Sandra Ung, and representatives from the offices of Congresswoman Grace Meng and City Council Member Christopher Mart. At least two members of the NYPD were also seen in the photos. Next, recent comments from Representative Tom Tiffany. He highlights his top priorities when dealing with China after the midterm elections. We should end the one China policy. Uh, there is no such thing as one China and we need to be firm with the Communist Party, especially with President Xi, who has, uh, it appears, consolidated his power. We have to be very firm with them that you need to leave Taiwan alone, and uh, Taiwan is a separate country. Beijing claims Taiwan as its own territory and has been threatening to take it under control by force. That despite Taiwan having its own military, constitution, and leaders, the communist regime has never ruled the island. The other thing that we should do, and there's bipartisan support for this, is to end most favored nation status, where we just give the administration the ability to continue to do that. The U.S. first gave China what's called most favored nation status in 1980. The designation lowered U.S. tariffs on imported Chinese goods and made products from China more competitive in the market. Back then, that status had to be renewed every year. In 2001, Congress voted to make that status permanent for China. Representative Tiffany argues there needs to be a change. We need to bring that back and have a vote every year in Congress whether China should have most favored nation status. They need to live up to the, uh, the 
goal that we all that most of us have across the world and that is for countries to treat each other with respect china is clearly not doing that with taiwan and other countries um let's let's bring back most favored nation status on an annual basis he hopes the change would turn the status into an incentive for the chinese regime urging it to be a better actor rather than stealing intellectual property and targeting ethnic minorities Luis Inácio Lula da Silva is Brazil's next president, with his election one of them South America's largest nations tilts to the left. Worth noting, it's one of the few remaining conservative-led nations there. What impact can the world expect? We spoke with an expert to find out more. Left-leaning regimes will occupy almost every single country, from the southern tip of South America up to the U.S. border with Mexico. Marco Chatkis is the editor-in-chief for the Epoch Times Brazil. He says socialist and communist movements in the whole region could be significantly strengthened if Lula wins, because he'll fund them as he did in the past. Shakis says back in the 50s, communist countries China and Russia started the practice of using drugs to infiltrate and destroy Western countries. He says this practice is being continued to this day. Almost every country, especially Cuba and Latin America, plays a key role in getting that strategy moving forward. Brazil has traditionally been a powerhouse in exporting drugs. It has ports and it has routes that have been used to get drugs to the U.S., to get drugs to Europe, and even to get migrants to the U.S. border. So with Lula in power, we have a government that is traditionally aligned to all the regimes that have been making that happen. Somebody who was personal friends with Fidel Castro. There's also the issue of rare earth minerals, which are used to make a variety of things, from fighter jets to microchips. Brazil has around 17% of the world's rare earth minerals. Russia has 18% and China has 44%. Shakis says Lula would bring Brazil closer to China, which will negatively affect the U.S. So, um, the U.S. would have less access in the long run to strategic resources. And the rare earth minerals are just one example. Supporters of Lula say Lula has been president of Brazil already, around 15 years ago. And they say the country didn't go down this path. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And in Europe, reports say Germany is set to approve a controversial deal. A China-based company is seeking to buy a German semiconductor company. This according to German business daily Handelsblatt. The buyer, Swedish company Celex Microsystems, is a subsidiary of China's Sci Microelectronics Group. German company Elmos is planning to sell its manufacturing line for automotive microchips to the tune of $83 million. German intelligence reportedly warned Chancellor Olaf Scholz to not approve the sale, noting the danger of relying on China for microchip production. The top concern is China could use the leverage to exert pressure on other countries in the future. It also pointed out that China is looking to fill a void. That's after Western companies exited China because of the U.S. new chip ban. Show still appears to greenlight the deal. The final decision is expected in the next week. But it's not the only controversial China-related deal Germany has been weighing. Last week, the country approved an investment from another Chinese company, this time for nearly 25% stake in one of the main terminals of Port of Hamburg, the country's largest seaport. The joint venture that makes Jeeps in China will file for bankruptcy. That's based on news from automaker Stellantis and Guangzhou Automobile Group on Monday. Here are the details. 
The announcement comes after Stellantis' surprise decision in July to end the venture with the Chinese automaker. The Stellantis CEO at the time blamed growing political influence in doing business with partners in China. Sales in China have been in sharp decline for the past four years. They plunged 50% in 2021 from the previous year. And for 2022, the joint venture has sold fewer than 2,000 vehicles. And in May, it reportedly sold only one. While attending the Paris Motor Show last month, Stellantis CEO's Carlos Tavares said the company is considering fully pulling out from China. That's given the geopolitical tensions popping up across the world. Will Beijing reopen China to travelers after years of COVID-19-related border closures? Social media posts have been circulating an unverified document. It says China is forming a committee to access border reopening in March. The post rally markets and the Hang Seng Index jumped more than 5%. But later, China's foreign ministry spokesperson said he's unaware of the situation. The Hang Seng Index is the benchmark of the Hong Kong stock market. Stocks declined after the spokesperson's remark. Now we turn to the U.S.-China space race. In the final step towards completing a permanent space station, China launched its final module on Monday. This makes China the third country in the world to send up astronauts and build a space station apart from the U.S. and Russia. That's as NASA's aging International Space Station is expected to cease operation by the end of this decade. The Chinese space station called Tiangong, or Celestial Palace, is designed for a lifespan of at least a decade. It marks a milestone for China's space ambitions, but a challenge for the U.S., with NASA space station retiring after 2030, if private U.S. companies like SpaceX don't replace it with their own stations, the Tiangong will be the only space station orbiting Earth. Experts say Tiangong may have even forced Washington's decision last year to delay NASA's space station's decommissioning, which was originally scheduled for 2024. As competition grows, China and the U.S. accuse each other of militarizing space. The link between China's space program and the Chinese military has fueled national security concerns in Washington. In 2011, the U.S. barred China from NASA's space station and other collaborations. Any space information exchanges with China also require FBI approval. A one-man protest in Beijing, sparking demonstrations outside China. Now known as the Bridge Man, the protester hung banners over a bridge in Beijing last month criticizing Xi Jinping and the Chinese regime's COVID-19 lockdown policies. He was quickly arrested. On Saturday, overseas, Chinese people showed their support at a protest in London. NTD's Jane Wells spoke with some of them. In Beijing in mid-October, a rare protest. Days before the CCP's National Congress, smoke billowed from an overpass as a man dressed as a construction worker unfurled banners on a heavily guarded bridge. Footage shows the writing on the banners say no to COVID-19 tests, yes to food, no to lockdowns, yes to freedom, no to lies, yes to dignity, no to cultural revolution, yes to reform, no to the great leader, yes to voting, don't be a slave, be a citizen. The man, Peng Lifar, was soon arrested. It sparked protests outside of China, including here in London's Trafalgar Square. The protesters didn't want their identities known out of concern for their family and friends in China, but they wanted to show their support. What's the feeling among Chinese people here at this protest? Uh, Quite encouraged by the bridge man. 
because at least there is one man in China who could openly risk his life and has maybe actually already given his life to protest. And we feel that if we don't do anything here because we are relatively safe, then we feel guilty about this. But also we feel that we are risking our lives and our families. It's like choked, getting choked. Even though we are far away, we are abroad, but we are still getting choked. She said they don't have a formal protest organizer, and the organization is decentralized to keep everyone safe. People don't know where he is right now. So we're doing this to support him and to protest Xi's dictatorship. Another protester who didn't want to be identified said he admires the bravery of the bridge man. He's definitely a hero. We definitely really admire his courage because it's not an easy job, not at all. I felt very emotional when I saw that slogan. That's exactly from that bridge man. He's not just physically strong, he's also mentally strong. He writes down everything we want to say. There's only one place in China that's not censored by the CCTV camera. You know where? Toilets. So they put this slogan in the toilets and translate into English. The bridge man's message is openly displayed here, but his whereabouts in China are unknown. A small group of metals are critical to almost every key area of modern life. That means smartphones, computers, cars, planes, and even weapons. The materials are extracted from rare earth, and most of the manufacturing process for them runs through one single country. We spoke to Ann Bridges, Silicon Valley author, about how he came to rely on this country. Well, all of, almost all of the minerals in the world at this point end up running through China. Uh, by establishing themselves as a manufacturing hub, they have invested in the purification and processing and all the behind the scenes uh, steps that are needed in a supply chain. So when you talk about, you know, there's lithium everywhere or there's cobalt in other places, yes, that's true. But eventually all of them get put on ships and sent to China. And then China does the uh, manufacturing manufacturing of the different um, components that then fit into the finished product, which are then shipped out to the rest of the world. So China's dominance using the Belt and Road Initiative, um, and I think they have one now called the String of Pearls, which is to try to connect all the different countries around the world to export to them, um, has really created a reliance on a single country for really the technology and the tools that the rest of the world uses for our daily life. I mean, literally, uh, you know, if you can't get a smartphone, if you can't get your car, you're going to be thrown back a couple hundred years in time in terms of trying to struggle to survive. Coming up, is there a way to break China's manufacturing dominance in these critical rare earth metals? And what difficulties could come up along the way? I don't think there's anyone in the natural resources area, whether you're in mining, whether you're in green, whether you're just a standard civ uh, civilian who says, oh, sure, I want dirty air and water and I want to kill all the critters. No, we all want to do it in a balanced approach. And um, I think if we trust each other that that's what we're going to do, then we can actually create an American renaissance. More on that after break here on China in Focus. China dominates rare earth manufacturing. If the U.S. started closing the gap today, it would take years to catch up. On top of the time investment, there are other aspects to balance. Anne Bridges, Silicon Valley author, suggests there's still a way. 
And in the process of, say, mining the cobalt or in the refining it into so usable for the lithium-ion batteries, it, like how labor-intensive or how big of an impact on the environment is it? Why, why are we all turning to China for this? Well, twofold. When China came out from under Mao, um, they kind of volunteered, you know, what, what can we do to contribute to the global economy and what can we do to very quickly grow um, from our communist past into more integrated into the whole world society. And they convinced everyone that they could do simple manufacturing and that manufacturing then got more and more complicated. Then they started uh, taking technology and bringing it over there. And if you really look at some of their, the stated policies of the CCP uh, going back many decades, it is that they believe believe that they wanted to dominate the world because they had rare earths, the same way that uh, this, the Middle Eastern countries and the U.S. have fossil fuels. Um, they had rare earths and they had understood that as more and more of the hardware that we rely on is going to be using um, the the characteristics of, of very tiny little unusual metals and, and minerals and, and rare earths as a category, um, that they could establish themselves as the choke point for much of the rest of the world's industry and growth. And they did that very successfully. Um, they convinced uh, people that it was too dirty to do, too harmful for the environment. They were happy to do it. They had this large country. As a result, what we've got is um, a number of people who, in countries who are totally reliant on China's capabilities in manufacturing because we have ceded our own manufacturing base over to them. We have ceded um, the land, for example, to simply go ahead and develop our own processing and purification uh, efforts and said, well, let's just let's let China go ahead and keep on doing it. And, and just like Germany relied on Russia for their energy and have now found themselves in a world of hurt with the Ukrainian war, uh, we risk having the same situation situation of China just decides that they don't want to um, export to us anymore or purify products for our behalf just for themselves. There is no requirement that they cooperate um, with the rest of the world if they choose not to. And it seems especially, say, in the recent uh, Inflation Reduction Act, there was a big push and lots of subsidies set aside for like this sector. So what are some of the issues we're running into here in America in, in terms of starting up, say, new productions for these materials? Well, we are behind the curve, first of all. Uh, China has been doing this for decades, and all of a sudden we're saying, oh, let's go ahead and do it. So a lot of the grants are being given for pilot programs, for some technology, uh, for recycling. But each one of those is going to take time to develop. And in the meantime, in the next five, 10 years, um, even if we work as fast as we can, we are reliant on still on China. So if China chooses to act in the next five to 10 years, uh, the rest of the world really is not prepared. Uh, and while you can say we, we could very swiftly move in that direction, possibly, um, we have a lot of environmental lawsuits, concerns, uh, people who are for green energy but don't, still don't want to have a plant built in their backyard or still uh, are trading off human life for the life of a fish or a butterfly or a frog or a golden eagle. I mean, it, it, if you really look at nature and include human in that, I think you have to look at the priority decisions and say, what are we really trying to do here? Are we trying to uh, leave land pristine pure or go back 200 years? 
or go back a thousand years before humans even thought of a machine. I mean, that those are kinds of, kinds of discussions that have been squelched, but they really are at the heart of the issue. Would there actually be an opening, for instance, for America to really pull back manufacturing out of China, maybe not necessarily to America, but at least out of China, given Xi's like focus on his own country right now? Oh, there's an opportunity. We, you know, we could set up a manufacturing plant today. The problem is we have to uh, be willing to do the things that come along with it, which is faster permitting, uh, get rid of a lot of the regulations. Um, when you look at the countries we compete with, one of the reasons that you know Indonesia and China and Mexico uh, are the places where manufacturing goes is they don't have the kind of really heavy labor laws and uh, governmental interference, I'd say, with the private sector. Um, so I think we've gone too far in the regulatory oversight. I think there are going to be a lot of questions about whether or not the um, all the different regulations that have been put forward are legal. That is starting to be challenged. And if they are found to be illegal, then I think you'll see a renaissance here because people are itching to this, to have at least a parallel supply chain um, to China. And it's not just us. I think all of Europe is looking at this. Australia is, um, Japan clearly is, Taiwan, South Korea. Um, we all recognize we're a little bit too dependent on them and are looking for ways to uh, work together better. Um, but we all have strengths, and so we all have to leverage those strengths. And one of the things we have is a know-how and, and a lot of land that we could tap. And Anne, any last words you'd like to add? We need to embrace our environmental positivity. I don't think there's anyone in the natural resources area, whether you're in mining, whether you're in green, whether you're just a standard civ uh, civilian who says, oh, sure, I want dirty air and water and I want to kill all the critters. No, we all want to do it in a balanced approach. and. Um, I think if we trust each other that that's what we're going to do, then we can actually create an American renaissance. If we don't trust each other, um, then, yeah, we are basically allowing ourselves to become slaves to whatever uh, regime decides that they want to really push themselves forward, whether it's Putin or Xi or someone else. Anne, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. Appreciate the invitation. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the rest of your week.